great. But here's what he did. Rhyme it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Oh, please just rhyme it. And he really gets into it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Yes, of course. We will you don't even have to think about it. So let's rhyme it today. Rhyme it. Yes. We are going to rhyme it. Just that's where he just after ran down. Everybody, amazing. I'm not going to remember any of it. That's good. That's the way to go. All over the Rams today and Rammy. I mean, now he's like on his feet. How are you guys? Who's house? Wow. Rammy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Rams Brothers. I'm your host, Dean, and I'm joined, as always, by my brother and the other fantastic host of this show, Nick. And Nick. We're like four days away from training camp. The 2023 season is starting. We've had a ton of really good off-season content to keep us occupied. But first and most importantly, how are you, my good brother? I'm great. You know, the the dog days of summer have been rough. But luckily, we have that amazing Netflix show, Quarterback, that we were talking about right true. here, which has filled the football-sized hole in my heart. So that's been great. We got Hard Knocks coming up, which is going to be amazing with Aaron Rodgers. I think this this Netflix quarterback show is probably the best produced football content outside of football. Honestly, yeah. like yeah. this beats any season of Hard Knocks. I've ever I would heard. I would put behind the grind. I would put quarterbacks, and I would put play callers. Obviously, Jordan Rodriguez's fantastic pod, podcast. I would put the three of those. Yeah. Obviously, we put the three of those at the very top. In, in consideration of best off-season content we've ever seen, right? Because obviously there's an evolution of content that's coming out that stems from Hard Knocks and everything that they created from an internal perspective. But then like just the production level, the quality of camera, the attention to detail, like everything is is fully available now. Um, it's, it's, the, it's Netflix, it's HBO, it's The Athletic, it's everything that has made itself available over the past couple of years. And I feel like it just strengthens everything that you need to know about your team in the off season going into the regular season and every single little detail in between. I feel like I learned more about the Rams, you know, over the last five, six years within the last couple of months than I have, you know, over an extended period of time, just because the content is so specifically focused on that offensive evolution and how everything has changed year to year to year um, with the play callers and with different teams and different schemes. And it's just, it's very, very interesting to observe. So, we're off to a great start so far for 2020. Yeah, absolutely. And before we talk about what, you know, the proposed topic of this episode, which is <laughs> perfect Sean McVay games, I think it's it's worth noting to get it out of the way. The Rams are not releasing a new uniform right. this year. They pushed it to 2025, which is why I'm repping the bone hat, which mm-hmm. I think has been the coolest thing from the rebrand is the bone jerseys, the bone color. You don't see anything else like that. Across the entire NFL, um, and it means it, it means we're forced, kind of in a way, to have more bone representation, like bone jerseys and stuff. So yeah, you know, I yeah. think it's I think it's great. And so many teams are terrified to release anything new. You, you so many. I mean, the Saints, the Jets, the Cardinals, the Eagles, now the Colts. Colts. Black helmet. It's like let's just do a black helmet, and that's the only thing that change nothing else. Just release a black helmet. And it's like, it's already a cliche. The Rams are sticking to what they have. They cemented the new legacy with a Super Bowl win. So the new era with the new logo, it's completely great. You don't have to change anything. I'm fine with them not releasing anything. And I love the bone. So, 
Yeah, we'll talk about it at the end of 2024, right? That'll be, it'll tie a bow. I think you said everything that I would have wanted to say about the uniforms. <laughs> tie a bow on the topic and we'll talk about it in a couple of years. It's uh, it's something that's, you know, well, it's it's not important. When you talk about the, the overall uh, objective holistically with this team, when you want to be able to achieve things like, you know, getting a lot of salary cap off the book and introducing uh, new concepts and a new scheme and just a new methodology to all of these younger players. There's 44 rookies on the roster currently. It seems like the focus is very much shifting this team into a position where they can really get everything underneath of them from a scheme, from a, a team, from just an overall player building perspective, relationship building, just getting everything together this year uh, from top to bottom and then making sure that they're better prepared to go into 2024 to go you know, achieve that goal of winning a Super Bowl once again. But for the sake of this podcast and for the sake of some of the topics we're going to cover, talked about how we're going to cover Sean McVay's Perfect Games, which was inspired by, obviously, Jordan's podcast and a couple of other off-season hot topics that have popped up. But then also just kind of want to evaluate what's coming up with camp and some of the players that we feel like could be on the outskirts uh, looking in and some players that we may not necessarily feel like have a lock in terms of a position that they can rely on for 2024. So let's jump into the Sean McVay conversation because, you know, I think the, the offensive evolution year to year for Sean McVay has been something that needs to be studied. It's been something that's been replicated. It's been something that you need to game plan specifically against. And in 2017, you saw just strict 11 personnel, you know, you get your best 11 players on the field and be able to run an offense that's tangible, that is efficient and, and is, is a dual threat consistently. And I feel like that's what they've been able to do um, over the past 2017, 18, and then, you know, going into 2021 and, and 22. Um, but, you know, when you look at it, I, I think it's, you just want to spend some time observing what was really, I guess, close to perfect or near perfect and, and how we could potentially pick out a few things from each year and apply them to the offense in 2023 and 24 moving forward. Right. So I think there's a little piece in 2017, piece in 18, 19, 20, 21 that you could probably compile and apply towards your offense and, and make it a little bit more of a threat going into 2024 and three. So Jordan Rodriguez podcast, which is a must listen, in my opinion. Um, what's it called? I can't, I can't, I can't play callers, play callers, five episodes. Got to listen to all five. I mean, it is it changes how you see like the coaching trees and like, you know, the head, the top of the league head coaches right now are all from yeah. this, like, you know, McVay, the McDaniels and all that. Um, Jerbo, uh, freaking Zach, uh, Zach Taylor, Zach Taylor, and, Taylor and, right. yep. all of them. Um, but Mike McDaniel said it best when he was like, it took anybody two years to kind of shut down the Rams yeah. from 2017 to 2018, where they were just, Lights out, you know, greatest show on surf as 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 they were nicknamed kind of for a couple of years um, with the golf girly regime. And yeah, I mean, we should just dive into some of these games because trip down memory lane. Some of these games are just like, you know, the, the stuff you would see as a Rams fan just couldn't believe it at the time, especially in yeah. 2017 when the year prior they had like four wins with Jeff Fisher. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't think they. I think they went zero and seven with Jared Goff to to finish the season, and I think they started off what three and one under Case Keenum, and then lost out the entire rest of the season. That sounds like something that would happen under Jeff Fisher. But then you see photos like this, Nick. You see Robert Woods. You see Todd Gurley in the end zone. This photo is specific to the Robert Woods third and thirty-three play that everybody remembers so well. The screen pass that he took to the house. 
there's so many memories. Like within that first season with the Rams, they destroyed the Giants on the road 51 to 17 in the regular season. Like they were five and two at the time. So they are obviously a good team. The Giants were only one and six. They were still led by Eli Manning. I believe they still had Tom Coughlin in the building. So, I mean, you know, you talk about just having to jump on a team that's at the end of a regime and a team that's up and coming that you could tell a lot of good things are happening. You could tell the personnel strong enough to be able to potentially make a run towards the end of the season. I think the one thing that really stuck out to me was within like a six or seven minute span, you had 20 plus yard gainers from Todd Gurley, from Gerald Everett, from Robert Woods, from Sammy Watkins, from Tavon Austin. Like you're getting contribution from every single player that was on the offensive side of the ball. Every single skill player, you utilize them perfectly. And that's kind of what I was looking looking out for in these kind of situations. It was like schematically, how many things did you execute on? How many explosives? How many turnovers? You know, were there any any misexecutions? Were there any drop touchdowns? Like how perfect was the game plan actually? And when you score 51 points on the road against an opponent that's not too talented, but in in a season where you're seven games into your livelihood as a head coach you're still 30 31 years old kind of coming into your own trying to teach this team how to come together and play together and a lot of the good things that we heard from that play callers podcast nick was andrew whitworth spoke to this really really well they allowed the players to kind of play within the scheme and kind of create things at the next level that would help every other player on the field it wasn't necessarily dedicated to a specific play call from sean McVay. there was a lot of flexibility and freedom and creativity within the offense. And I feel like this was kind of the first game. And there were other games earlier on in the season, but this game specifically really stood out as one that kind of reinvigorated the Rams' fan base. And what I felt like reinvigorated everything from top to bottom offensively with this Rams franchise. Yeah. I mean, week one, 2017, you and I were there against the Colts. Yep. Um, In the Coliseum. I mean, like just – they destroyed the Colts that year. Like, absolutely. It felt too easy. Curb stomped them. Yeah. And I remember just thinking, like, oh, wow, like, this year's going to be fun. You know what I mean? Like, not really thinking, like, oh, yeah, like, like we really got something here. But I think week, week nine against the Giants, you're kind of seeing everything in full swing, everything that, that they can bring. They're bringing in, like, you know, in spades and – yeah, I mean, that was uh, personally a favorite game of mine because a couple of my best friends are Giants fans. So I remember just pushing it down their throats. Nick, it had been 13 years since you had any opportunity to talk any trash. They hadn't been in the playoffs since 2004. It was then 2017 and our first opportunity to potentially make the playoffs since we were children. So obviously there- I was in fourth grade. <laughs> it's a very exciting time. For us, for us to all kind of come together and uh, root for a high, high-powered, explosive offense, which we hadn't seen in such a long time since the greatest show on turf. Um, so then we we bounce over to 2018, and I think we got a little bit of flack on Twitter for this decision. And it's you know a lot of it is catered towards the fact that it's the 49ers, and it was if you listen to the context within the podcast of of the play callers, and you listen to some of the things that we're trying to bring to the table here in terms of how far ahead McVay was in the relationship between him and Kyle Shanahan, despite the fact that he was working under Kyle Shanahan for years and years before he eventually made his head coaching debut. So I just felt like the complexity behind that, the roster that he inhibited, but then turned into this schematic monster that you were just unable to stop in every single phase, whether it was the pass attack, it was deep crossers, whether it was the outside zone scheme, which then later developed into something else after something that we'll allude to in a couple of minutes. Um, But I just think that that relationship and the rivalry that has come from it is 
is just a burning hot topic for Rams fans consistently. And I felt like how many times do you get to see your team go into your division rival stadium and beat them by four touchdowns in it while you continue to stay undefeated in a year that you definitely feel like you can go to the Super Bowl. Like that's 2018. These are some of the pictures that you remember. It's just Todd Gurley breaking it to the outside. You remember the Corey Littleton blocked punt. Like the similarities within the first and second game that we've chosen, Nick, Corey Littleton blocked a punt in both of those games. And that Wade Phillip defense was pretty damn good. But every other piece of detail from Sean McVay was spot on perfect. So I think that's probably one of the reasons why I was pushing yellow for as long as I was, thinking that that we were in a, a yellow jersey. Because if yeah. you look back during this 2017, 18, 19 era, when they wore the yellow jerseys outside the last time they ever wore them against the Ravens, they like every single game was like incredible. It was like they, they put on the yellow jerseys and they are like putting up 54 points against the Chiefs, like in yeah. like the greatest regular season game of all time. Um so, I mean, I just wanted a little taste of that. Yeah. I always thought that that was just, like, the coolest thing ever, those those color rushes. But, yeah, in the context of this game, I mean, you know, this was back when the 49ers were kind of, you know, trivial. They were they were in our rearview mirror. They, they were nothing to even think about being, like, this, like, difficult juggernaut yet. Um, but it was still, you know, a divisional opponent to go in there and, you know, proceed to, to go 8-0, like – that was, you know, a true highlight. When whenever you can knock off a, a, like a divisional opponent that, you know, with that much vigor. That's exactly that's how I felt. I mean, when you and you look at the Vikings game, you know, that game schematically was perfection. You know, you look at the first two games of that 2018 season. You look at the Vegas game with Marcus Peters returning the pick, and you know, doing everything that he does when he returns an interception for a touchdown. Uh, and then the following game, Nick, was an Arizona Cardinals blowout. It was 34 to nothing. So those two games were very, very easy options, in my opinion, alongside of the Vikings game, but just because of the context and some of the things schematically that Sean McVay was doing over a two-year period that still couldn't be figured out by somebody that had worked that closely with him for five, six years, it just didn't necessarily make sense to me. And plus, it's a time when San Francisco still had coaches like Rob Sala. They still have D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico Ryans was the inside linebackers coach. He's now the head coach for the Houston Texans. Rob Saylor was the defense coordinator. He's now coach for the New York Jets. Kyle Shanahan was still in place. Uh, George Lynch was still the, the general manager. So there is um, – John Lynch, rather. There are still so many things about that defense. You still saw Jaquaski Tart and DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead and Fred Warner. Like, they still had a lot of pieces to that defense. And for it to be as unstoppable as it was in that period of time, was I just think something that we should stop and, and readmire when we have a chance. Did Corey Littleton block a punt in 2017 against the Giants and 2018 against the Niners? Yeah, you sure yeah. did. Corey Littleton was a weapon. He also had a sack early on in that game against C.J. Beathard. C.J. Beathard was running an offense that was producing more total yards than Jimmy Garoppolo at the time. So another reason why I picked this game was the offense was actually better week over week than they were when Jim Garoppolo was uh, was the starting quarterback. And I think he tore his ACL week four, week five, which then brought in C.J. Beathard. And then the following year, Nick Mullins beat us. So, it, you know, you got to kind of keep these things in consideration as to why uh, a 39 to 10 game in division matters so much to stay undefeated. I will say this about Kyle Shanahan. He does everything else so well with an organization, like everything. I mean, particularly like the running game. 
where the quarterback can hide behind a lot of things. So, more so than Sean McVay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. So, I mean, like Nick Mullins, Brock Purdy, Jimmy Garoppolo, like any of them, like he makes the he makes the offense very easy to like fill out um, if you're a quarterback. I mean, I, I'm hearing that the Niners want to go with Brock Purdy as their number one, even though they got yeah, Sam Darnold. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think it's the stubbornness of Kyle Shanahan that's going to end up getting in their way because if they don't win a Super Bowl, he's going to be consistently doing paralysis by analysis. He's going to consistently over-engineer his offense to a point where he's going to continue to frustrate himself. And then I don't know how long it's going to take him to realize if he just had a quarterback of a higher caliber, he would go ahead and win the Super Bowl pretty easily. I think here's my thought process, and maybe it's just in the front of my mind because of the Netflix documentary. I think the Vikings move off of Kirk Cousins end of this year if they don't make a deep playoff run. And I think the the Niners swoop in, pick up Kirk Cousins, and win a Super Bowl. I don't know if Kirk Cousins can win a Super Bowl, but if there's a single offense and coach. If there's a team where he can. Yeah, 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 it would be that. It would be them. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. It's a very, very good call out. And obviously there's a relationship with Kirk and Mike and Sean and Kyle dating back to Washington when he was drafted at the fourth round behind Robert Griffin III. Such an interesting dynamic in that 2012 draft. Um, So then moving on to 2019, Nick, this is where the conversation gets really interesting, right? Because we all knew what the offense was in the first two years. It was 11 personnel. It was a lot of play action, a lot of boot, a lot of motion at the line of scrimmage, the outside zone run scheme. But this is where the offense had to really kind of take a deep dive and, and redevelop itself. And McVeigh had to kind of start reevaluating what it was that he was bringing to the table, because obviously we know what happened with the six, one fronts in 2018 and how we talked about this before the podcast started. It was, it was really Matt Patricia who introduced it with the Detroit lions. It was like week 12, week 13. Then we saw Vic Fangio introduce it again, bring it to the table and dominate us. I think it was week 14 in freezing cold Chicago weather in December, January. And then the Patriots, no other team picked up on it from that four or five week stretch. The Patriots picked up on it for the Super Bowl, which then made Sean McVay kind of reevaluate his whole future. With Took off several years years of his life, probably. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely a, a situation where you really have to kind of peel back the layers and see from a personnel perspective, how can I make this scheme better? Um, and I, there was a point in time in the 2019 season where I think we all doubted that that could ever happen because they were winning games earlier on in the season. I think they started 3-0, but there was a Browns game in week three specifically where I just felt like the offense wasn't firing on all cylinders and couldn't move the ball as efficiently as they, they normally would. So in 2019, Nick, this was week 13. Um, I want to say it was a color rush game, but I don't have the, the photos Oh, no, I'm sorry, I do. So it wasn't against the Ravens. The color rush game was against the Ravens. So these, this is what we're looking at from this game. Um, it was week 13 of 2019. The Rams are coming off of a really tough loss against the Baltimore Ravens. So the week before they were wearing the color rush jerseys, they lost that game 45-6, to where the, Raider, or the Ravens rather rushed for 285 yards. In a time where the Rams' defense was only allowing like 85 yards on the ground per game, and a season in totality that was really, really challenging. We talked about coming off of the Super Bowl loss. We were only f- six and five at that point. Like you, you thought they would be much worse uh, coming off of a Super Bowl loss. But and considering the, lo- the loss of personnel, Todd Gurley, all the drama that was happening in 19, you're still fighting for a spot in the playoffs. The Ravens, though, what they did was they used a ton of motion at the snap in 2019. They were the first, first in the NFL 
um, at 34% in 2019 specifically. And the Rams were only at 18%, which was fourth amongst all, te all teams, but it was trending upwards. So McVay saw that as an opportunity. And what he did to their own defense in that game was he immediately started incorporating more of that motion as the season progressed into 2020. And what I thought was really, really most impressive about the commitment to this in a post-Todd Gurley era was if they had known about some of the effectiveness and some of the efficiency behind um, creating more motion at the line of scrimmage and creating a little bit more complex of a run scheme, perhaps the year prior or 2018 would have ended differently. And, you know, it, it all makes a little bit of a difference if you have a quarterback who's mobile, can run the pistol, but going up against heavy fronts and loaded boxes, it's a really good way to be able to stretch your offense and make the defense defend every single blade of grass. And their rushing totals, if you look at the Rams' rushing totals late in 2019 and early in 2020, and again late in 2020, which is another thing that we'll call out, it was because McVay tweaked, an emphasis on tweaks, because it was primarily out of the same personnel groupings, but he tweaked the scheme. Um, and in this game, this Cardinals game, in the very first series, you saw a ton of pre-snap movement, late lead blocks. Uh, one of the late lead blockers that was coming around in a pull was Josh Reynolds, of all people. Um, Goff was rolling out in play action in the boot game. He was under center. He was in shotgun. There was a variety of concepts on display, and you never knew which one was coming at you. And this is coming off of a 45-6 to six loss where we felt like the season was entirely over. Yeah. And to me, Nick, I felt like this was the beginning of Sean McVay's offensive remodel. I'm not using the word rebuild. I'm using remodel specifically for a reason. Obviously, coming out of 2018, Nick, there was a ton of emphasis on how they're going to handle that 6-1 front. But there's two ways to combat that. It's empty sets, which McVay will go on to discover with Matthew Stafford, which he eventually wanted to run with Stafford, but couldn't run with Jared Goff. And when there's too many weapons flying around, but that too high shell, that's when the empty sets can exploit that. But when you don't feel overly confident Jared Goff can do that consistently, then you trade for Matthew Stafford. And then also the pre-snap motion. That's another way to get that 6-1 front off their spots. You get in, get their first and second level, less second level defenders flowing in a direction, in a zone, in a run scheme to just combat them eventually with an inside cutback or a jet sweep around the opposite direction, which most quarterbacks can run, but Jared Goff in that period of time ran exceptionally well. Um, yeah. But any, anyway, this game was, sorry for the tangent. This game no, was 30, 34 to nothing late in the fourth quarter until Kyler, Kyler Murray scrambled for a late garbage time touchdown. But just domination in all phases. And it was the quick adjustment to me that led to me bringing this game back back up. Yeah. I mean, Goff, that game, he always plays exceptional in Arizona. I'm not sure he's lost in Arizona. Throughout I know. His he still entire, yeah, his entire span of his career. Uh, threw through 424 yards, no turnovers, only sacked once. Uh, in a season where the defense had given up like 40-plus points and only like nine wins, it didn't end up being enough to get into the playoffs, as we remember. Um, but McVay was, you know, still cooking up something special. And after a Super Bowl visit, uh, especially from like such a young team like that, like expect a similar thing um, to happen to the Eagles this year. My thoughts, because the, the Rams schedule that year was really brutal. They were playing a lot of really good teams. I mean, they faced Lamar in his MVP season, like at home in those Colorado jerseys the week prior, where yep. it was, you know, it was he he was playing lights out that entire season. Um, so it was really, really difficult. But you know, I remember thinking at the end of 2019, like, oh no, like we'll never <laughs> win a Super Bowl now. 
And then I started buying like old Super Bowl merch because I really wanted to buy like Super Bowl merch. So I had like a two thousands like pullover or yeah, like the, from the two thousand season pullover that said like Rams Super Bowl champs because. I was just like, I don't know if they have what it takes anymore. Like, the window's kind of closed. And then, you know, move on to 2020, where they miraculously kind of finish 10-6 and six, uh, because Brandon Saley's defense kind of, like, awakens something new. But if you watch this – Vic Fangio, like, right? It was It's Vic Fangio's team. Yeah, that it's Stanley yeah, yeah, from, from Fangio, um, where McVay was like, I need to bring in some of this, you know, like this iron to heart, help sharp, sharpen my iron. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a really weird season. And I remember trying to convince myself that, that they could do it that year. And it was all like, you know, it was the COVID season. There was nobody in the stands, but they started out that season really hot. Yeah, they, they did. beat the Cowboys and then they beat the Eagles and they like the, the Tyler Higby Eagles game that we'll never stop talking about <laughs> until his career is over where he was like four touchdowns, three to four. Yeah. Touchdowns. He had, I think he had three before the halftime was over. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, and Goff was also playing, like, lights out. I remember being like, guys, it's over. The Goff-Wentz debate. Goff is the winner, which I was right. I mean, I you still were, want my flowers for being right. You're so right. No, no, that debate is that debate is always correct. And you know what? I, I think you, you know, going back to what you said about the Super Bowl merch and going back and buying stuff and kind of reliving that era, you know, I, I want to say that there were moments where I felt like that, but there were so many other moments, whether it was, you know, because the McVay journey has been a roller coaster thus far. One week you feel like, you know, you're seeing the next iteration of offense in the NFL. And the week after that, you feel like he doesn't even know which play he's going to call. Um, but for this specifically, like I, I had confidence because of games like this, because the scheme was tinkered with, because they utilized more motion, right? Because they changed the run scheme. Instead of cutting outside, you cut inside. Instead of a zone scheme that's flowing left, you jet sweep and bring it around the right edge. Like there's so many different pieces that you can play around with. Like in 2020, this game that we're going to talk about, like that's when you saw the introduction of the I formation and Gerald Everett getting down uh, and starting to lead block a little bit. And then you see it again with Ben Skoranek last year because it's kind of like a, a desperation. Let's kind of get the wheels spinning with the offense in the run game. Yeah, and in some way, yeah, some way yeah. possible. Yeah, they were really coming. The 2020 season was so interesting because it is obviously the COVID season. And we know how the, the season ended, right? It was with Jared Goff's thumb and the John Wolford drama. Um, they lost um, to Buffalo earlier on in a heartbreaker. But if they would have won that game, you know, everybody would have been considering them to be Super Bowl contenders again. And then there was the Miami game where I think Jared Goff had four turnovers, which that was one of the, the moments. That was the end of the Goff era. I, I thought so too. Was that – that Miami game is where I remember you came to me because I was like, because I, I couldn't watch. I was on the road for work. Um, and I was like, why is everybody freaking out? It seems like they can still win this game. And you were like, you're not seeing the performance. You're not visualizing how bad Jared Goff is playing today. It was the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It and was. That's, and it was. that's what everybody was like. Wolford should start like you have to bench Goff like all this stuff and I remember I was just like okay that's lunacy so yeah no but it was it was kind of like a desperation take right because there was no other opportunity to potentially put somebody else in in that spot and still continue to win games because Goff was the next week Nick after that game that we were just talking about against Miami I'm pretty sure he dominated the Arizona Cardinals he did (laughs) Yeah. I'm pretty sure they, they beat the Cardinals by like 35 points, and Jared Goff looked perfect. 
Yeah. Um, and they were like huge underdogs in that game too. I remember because I bet on them, and I was yeah, like, yeah. I was, like, the Cardinals. I was like, I was like, it's the Rams in Arizona. We'll be fine. Yeah, and I don't know if that was the year that Arizona was half decent, but regardless, it was. Um, they were coming off of a stretch. They won three of their last four games before they had to face Bill Belichick and the Patriots, who were five hundred at the time, led by Cam Newton in this twenty twenty game specifically. But this is the only photo you really need to see. This is it. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to talk about the game. I thought you were going to. I thought you were going to show the photo of Goff um, diving over. Yeah, no. <laughs> he has it. I got gotcha. you. Uh, yeah, that was the. That's my recollection of that game. I remember. Yeah, he, I mean, he threw like a terrible pick at like the five yard line, and then Cam like was like, "I'll do you one better." And then threw a terrible pick, and the Rams like scored a touchdown. Like that's right. That's, I just love when the um, the offense offensive line and the run game comes prepared. To I really do think, and this is crazy, and like it could have changed the entire course of history, but it, it probably absolutely would have. I think with a healthy Aaron Donald, the Rams win in Green Bay. Um, then they beat Tom Brady again at home at the NFC Championship. And they go to that Super Bowl because they were in the playoffs. They were they had something that nobody else – like their defense was yeah. like, yep. a- amazing. They, they were the best defense that year. And, you know, defense wins championships. What won us – I mean, outside of Stafford and Cup on that final drive, it's the defense holding – the Bengals pretty much to no touchdowns outside of a ridiculous face mask the entire second half. So yeah, Yeah, that's, that's the difference. It's, it's a defensive play down the stretch, but like how consistent can your defense play throughout the entire year and how, how can your offense stay efficient enough to keep your defense off the field to the point where it doesn't hurt them late in games. And you saw that late in that 2020 season, you saw a couple of moments late in that 2020 season where the offense just couldn't get going and Jared Goff had hurt his thumb and then they had to beat the Cardinals 18 to 7 to to secure the fourth spot in the playoffs to then go beat Seattle in Seattle to get through the wild card round and then go see the Packers. So yeah, really, I mean, really they, road. they had an uphill battle but they totally, you know, I like that Packers game I'm I remember like some really it, it was the I formation um what was it? Uh, Cam Akers like two point conversion or something like that. Uh, they ran a wildcat play. It was wildcat, direct snap. Yeah. Yeah. Direct snap to Cam Akers. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was, I mean, yeah, that 2020 season was wild for so yeah. many different reasons. And in this, this, in this game it. specifically against Bill Belichick, Akers was, uh, I think he set the record, his biggest rushing game by an NFL rookie in the 2020 season. It was just the ninth time in NFL history that a running back had gone for over 150 yards against a Bill Belichick coach defense since 2020. Um, so that's that scheme, that's blocking, that's execution. That's how you play football when you when you're forced to become one dimensional and you have one hand tied behind your back. That's how you kick some ass on the road. So, yeah. And then the, then you go into the 2021 season, and this is the only picture that you have to show. Yeah, week one against it's the Bears. Week one against the Bears. Uh, you weren't there. You were flying to your honeymoon. I was home. I was in Jersey because of your wedding. And I remember I stayed an extra day so I could watch it with our dad. And I'm like freaking out at the start of the game. I'm like, oh man, like I I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's very good. <laughs> I, I, after the first touchdown, I, the, our dad turns to me and he goes, the Rams could win the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, and Van like, Jefferson. Yeah, it was- yeah, after the Van Jefferson touchdown, it's the first thing he said to me. 
And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. you know, I was still not sure about Stafford. Uh, it kind of took me a whole season, but I got there by, by the first. <laughs> the problem was, and the reason why you didn't fully come around on Stafford in the first two months of the season was because the November, November, November happened. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that whole month in November. Oh my God. When you were on the radio talking about how Matthew Stafford is the truth, he's the guy we, we want to go into the doghouse with. We're going to win the Super Bowl with him. Um, and then Derrick Henry and, and Jeffrey Simmons and everybody else runs all over us in that game against the Titans. And uh, it's, it's, it started a really difficult November. But that, that first game of the season specifically, I think we all knew that there was a chance that the Rams were going to win the Super Bowl this year. Yeah. Matthew Stafford is the real deal. Ryan Tannehill is a subpar quarterback. Hey, and guess who has the higher rating in Madden this year? Tannehill? <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> Stafford was injured. Also, what? I mean, you uh, the, our account, the Rams Brothers, tweeted out the um, uh, like the ESPN's rankings of quarterbacks, and Stafford's not even in the top 20. No, that's the Madden rankings. Madden rankings. Wow. Also, this is really funny. You guys can't see this, um, but Dean like has it all written out of like McVay's perfect games, uh, and then says twenty twenty two none. <laughs> well, because what what was there last year? If you, I maybe you can call one of the Baker Mayfield games perfect. No. Later on in the oh, season. Oh wait, no, no, no. Twenty twenty two Christmas Day Broncos. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I needed yeah. I needed some help with that one because I was yeah. out of gas after I did the first five seasons. That but, that that truly was a perfect game. It that was. was. It I was. mean, it was another yeah, great was example of, of Cam Akers and yeah. the defense and just everything firing all cylinders. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, what else do we have for camp, Nick? We got camp in four days. Yeah, camp. Who are we looking at? You looking at Brian Allen? You're looking at Joe Noteboom. I guess it's really the entire offensive line. I, Maybe a couple of receivers. Like, if you're going to view, I would say you're looking 100% at Stafford, see, seeing how he's looking, um, and then just rookie, rookie mania. You know what I mean? Just, like, guys you can't really name, people that are making big plays, and you're like, oh, who is that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, who's stepping up right now? Yeah, you want to see that along the defensive line. You want to see that along the front. Uh, you want to see Ernest Jones take that step into a leadership role. You want to see Jordan Fuller play a full healthy season. You want to see Kobe Durant transform into an all-pro. Yeah. Um, I like The one thing that I saw that Kevin Demoff said that I just want to reiterate was that nobody really has a starting job. Unless you're Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford, or Aaron Donald, a.k.a. one of the weight-bearing walls, nobody else has a definitive role set aside for them in this offense or this defense. Arguably, you could say Rob Havenstein is the starting right tackle. And Kobe Durant is the starting outside corner. Maybe he plays the Joker at the star. Um, but, you know, there's there's so many moving pieces with this season, and that's why this training camp. And then you obviously have the preseason where you have three games specifically where all those rookies that led by Stenson Bennett are going to be playing. And then you have the two, um, the two scrimmages against um, the Broncos and the Raiders. I think, you'll see a I lot think of the Rams should so. legitimately win preseason games this year. I do, too. Because because you're playing people like you like Stenson Bennett is not Wolford or Bryce Hopkins like he should have something to be playing for in those games right right so no, I agree yeah he's I'll I mean, probably he's, go to I'll probably go to maybe I'll hit up Brian and see if uh, see if he's going to go to the Rams Chargers 
You should. Yeah, I think that would be a good one to go to. It's, I mean, this is going to be another year. It's a fun preseason where the offense continues to evolve, where the defense, you know, what is it going to look like? Is it going to be a carbon copy of, of what we saw with Brandon Staley and Raheem Morris's versioning 2.0 of that in 2022? Like how much of that carries over into 2023? You know, the losses of Jalen Ramsey and Bobby Wagner, how does that change your looks schematically? How does it change the matchup specifically that the offense is going to look to get? And then offensively, I mean, you know, in 2022, we saw a ton of empty or 2021 rather. And in 2022 early, the offense was primarily set say probably 65, 70% of the offense out of empty. So the reason why that they run that offense is so that the defense can identify themselves. When you have five offensive players split wide, the defense has to defend every single blade of grass and it forces them to show their hand. So you mix that in with a couple of things under center. You could still mix in the play action boot game. You could sp still mix in the jet sweeps. You could still make it mix in the backside screens to your running backs as long as you have layers upon layers upon layers built into this offense, then they will be successful in 2023. And I have no reason to see why they couldn't win nine, 10 games and get themselves back into the playoffs. Yeah. It's just the illusion, illusion of complexity. It is marrying the run in the past. It is everything foundationally that Sean McVay has wanted to instill. And I think that it's been the perfect six year mark, probably the most expedited learning process of any head coach in the history of the NFL to where now he could bring all of these things to the table and execute. Yeah. So, uh, one last time, when you give a shout out to Jordan Rodriguez, um, that podcast is the play callers is amazing. Um, I love to hear about the Piss Brothers, as they call themselves, or <laughs> I'm aware, Piss Boys. Piss Brothers just makes me think of Succession, the Disgusting Brothers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Netflix, for making amazing football content. I'm not going to say HBO because Hard Knocks usually sucks. I mean, it'll probably be fun this year because of Rogers, but whatever. I, I just, you know, I'm just waiting all, I'm waiting all month for Sunday night. I'll tell you what, after I watched the quarterback documentary, I'd much rather watch Kirk Cousins and his journey through life and his rehabilitation process and the way that he goes about his business daily from, from a man to another man that's a little bit more relatable. I'd rather watch him over Aaron Rodgers. I, you're saying, I think right. Kirk Cousins is Jim Halpert, like minus like five points charisma plus 100 points athleticism. And then <laughs> his wife is Pam, plus minus nothing. Like That's exactly – that's what Darius said too. It's yeah. the same exact thing. Yeah. 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 Also, okay. I love the Netflix documentary because it got my girlfriend interested into it. Like she's like – are we like gonna like be Vikings fans next year? Because she <laughs> loves Kirk Cousins, and I was like, so do I. So do I know, I. me too. And I was like, I yeah. love the Vikings as like I I have a lot of really good friends that are huge Vikings fans, so I usually just keep up with them just to keep up with them. And now you know she'll be she's gonna be more excited to watch Vikings games than Rams. But yeah, yeah I and mean, it goes back to Sean McVay is one of the reasons why he, Kirk Cousins is what he is today. You know, so it's all. Wait, wait. It's Here's all an exercise. I want you to ask right? this to Daria. <laughs> For context, that's Dean's wife. Um, what if she could name three? Because Danielle could have named three, but ask her what quarterback she would want to see on the next season. Okay. Danielle said, "Sounds good." Um, she said, "Jared Goff," and I said, "Thank you." And then she said, "Jalen Hurts," <laughs> and then she was like, "That's it." <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you who she would choose. Joe Burrow, Matthew Stafford, and then maybe Jared. 
I was like, I was like, what, you don't want to watch Stafford? And she was like, no. <laughs> yeah. She was there with me at the Super Bowl, so she understands the uh, the complexities and love and everything that's intertwined with, with Joe Burrow and Joe Burr and Cincinnati and all that. Joe stuff. Burr, I think if you want to follow like the top tier, mid tier potential backup, I would go Burrow, Goff, I guess, as mid tier, and then Geno Smith, maybe. Yeah, great. Sold. Yeah. Sold. Yeah, I think I think people would love that. Well done. Thank or or Brock Purdy. I I take out. Yeah, you take out. Yeah, I think there's more of a story with Brock. Maybe. I'm good with that. Good with that. No, Darnold. Darnold. Final answer. Darnold. Final done. Answer, Darnold. Yeah, All right, Darnold. done. Done. Deal. Deal. Because I I can't stand the 49ers, but I do like Sam Donald. Thank you guys so much for listening. You guys are the best. Training camp's coming up. Season's coming up. Stay with us. We love you guys. Like and subscribe. We're almost at 1K. We just need a couple more of you guys to subscribe to get us to 1K. And then we're off and running for the season. So thank you guys so much for listening. Almost have 1K in my bank account. (laughs) Pray for me, Dorian the writer and actor strike. Love you. Bye. Pray for Nick. Hashtag peace.